0: Welcome to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. Today is Saturday, February 24th, day 141 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel-Dan here with the Times of Israel's U.S. Bureau Chief, Jacob Magid. Hello, Jacob. Hey, Amanda. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has finally released a day after Hamas plan for the Gaza Strip. We'll hear some of its points as well as initial blowback. The Biden White House has stressed that new West Bank settlements are against international law. But did Israel actually announce any new settlements late last week? We'll also hear about a second round of sanctions against extremist settlers from the United States, as well as the transfer of U.S. flour into the Gaza Strip. But we'll start with an update on today's hostage talks. All this and much, much more when we're back.
1: You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about the war in Israel right now, and you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza, genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning, without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: The U.S. is hoping that a hostage-release deal and truce can be agreed upon before the start of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, according to a report from Axios. That's roughly March 11th. The report came today after Israeli negotiators returned from Paris and officials said that they agreed to a framework for the deal. So, Jacob, what do we know at this point about the potential framework of the deal? So, I think we want to take,
2: for with a grain of salt any information that's being reported, because I think people are trying to be strategic in how they leak and what they leak. But basically what's being leaked at the moment is that there's this new framework. Um, there was a framework that they reached a month ago that we thought was the framework then, and now it didn't work out because Hamas came up with new demands. So we have this new framework, which according to reports is kind of similar. It's, we're talking about a six-week pause and the re- initial release of around 40 hostages um, but we don't know. It's likely that we've assumed in the past that that means uh, elderly people, some women and people who are sick or ill. Um, but we don't know much beyond that. And then obviously Israel will have to release its own batch of security prisoners um, while leaving other hostages for later stages in some sort of deal. Um, that's the ge- So the general framework doesn't seem to be radically different. But uh, it's apparently was decided upon between Israel, Egypt and Qatar and the U.S., and now Israel has to, basically, the, the the war cabinet first will have to approve it, and that's supposed to happen in the coming hours, and then the full security cabinet will also be required to accept the proposal, and then it, after that will be sent back to Hamas to make its decision about whether it approves the deal. Last time the framework was brought to them, they added all these new conditions related to the Temple Mount, Jerusalem, all these other issues that Israel th- considers out of bounds, um, and it led to kind of a sort of breakdown in talks, or at least a... a withdrawal and progress. Um, So we have this new framework. um, It seems like Israeli officials and even U.S. officials to a degree, but less so, one official I spoke with said that these reports out of Israel that there was massive progress and the reason for optimism are a little bit uh, a step ahead of the game. They feel like, okay, we had this, we're back on track possibly, but we still got a long way to go because Hamas could again come up with his own demands. And even if they agree to it, then we're back to still having to negotiate the actual details. How many prisoners, how many hostages, who specifically, which is obviously a big issue for Israel regarding they don't necessarily want to see uh, people prisoners with, quote-unquote, blood on their hands who have murdered Israelis. They don't want them being released, but they might have to be in in order to get some sort of deal. Um, So I think we'll have to see moving forward where this goes, but um, at least right now it's notable that Israeli officials are leaking that there's reason for optimism.
0: I do think that's notable because it seems to me that the previous round, the U.S. was leaking that there's room for optimism and Israel was much less optimistic. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: I don't know what to make of that, but I would say, I guess, I think Israel recognizes that there's also pressure from within the within the country for a deal. They also recognize maybe that the U.S. is leaning on them to be more flexible. So. At least if we show that there's reason for optimism, then maybe it'll be seen as if we're taking the negotiations more seriously. Whereas before, I think there was a lot of flack on Netanyahu for for allegedly not taking the negotiations very, very seriously. So we'll have to see.
0: Netanyahu also has received a lot of flack for not coming up with a day after plan. And on Thursday night, Netanyahu presented the security cabinet with a document of principles regarding the management of Gaza after the war, aiming to install, quote, local officials unaffiliated with terrorism to administer services in the Strip instead of Hamas. So as I understand it, these officials would be unaffiliated with Fatah as well, the party that rules the Palestinian Authority, because we're not hearing any mention of an involvement of the Palestinian Authority in the plan. What do you know about this plan, Jacob? So that that's the question the plan
2: does not talk about the palestinian authority at all i think at least in the biden administration and i know that an israeli official kind of purposely let um, his counterpart in washington know that hey we didn't rule out the palestinian authority that it's still a possibility if it's reformed which i think is what the us would like to hear but obviously um i know that the idf has basically been present been given um goalposts for for planning and it's been told to plan as if, at the, as if the Palestinian authorities not in the picture. Um, and there's this effort that we've reported a little bit about in recent days, where we're going to have some sort of clan leaders or local officials with administrative experience, which doesn't really exist in terms of people who are unaffiliated with any, either Fatah or Hamas. Um, but that's. The Israeli goal, they think they have this pilot program that they're going to try in the Zaytun neighborhood of Gaza City. And then with these local officials that they claim to have met with and that will be able to, that are going to be willing to help distribute aid instead of UNRWA or other organizations and kind of hold down the fort as Israel continues with its military operations. And then hopefully that this pilot program will be expanded throughout Gaza. But I've got to say, according to officials I speak with in the U.S. and across the Middle East, there's just no uh, expectation that this can really work um that if any sort of local official unaffiliated with with either of these groups tries to like identify go public with their cooperation with Israel That's being done unilaterally without the support of any sort of broader Palestinian infrastructure. They'll immediately have their lives in danger. They won't be taken seriously and there's just just no chance it'll work. And I think that the one official I spoke with compared it to the U.S. plans after it invaded Iraq to try to also establish people that were going to be friendly to the U.S. to help um, administer affairs in Iraq and around 2003. And we all saw how that backfired um, with the insurgency campaigns that, that followed. So that, there's this, this very much of speculation whether this plan can work. What I think is notable is that over the past week, Mahmoud Abbas was in Qatar. for The Palestinian Authority president was in Qatar for several days. And what I understand is what he was doing is was kind of vetting um, officials who are technically not official Palestinian Authority, but are very much related to the PA. Um, but they also, because Qatar is part of these conversations, Qatar is kind of representing Hamas and understanding which officials that Hamas would be okay with, even if they're not officially Hamas. So they're trying to put together this like temporary committee that will be in charge of temporarily running Gaza um, in, the, in the interim after the war in order to eventually have the PA uh, take over for that committee uh, once there's this technocratic government that uh, Mahmoud Abbas is planning on establishing in the West Bank once there is some sort of uh, truce. And that, that technocratic government in the West Bank will eventually take over for guys, We'll have a united Palestinian governance. And that's the, the vision that the U.S. and the Arab countries are still trying to move forward, even as Netanyahu has his other ideas.
0: That's really interesting. And on the horizon, unless it's being called off, is a summit in Moscow between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority on Monday, I believe. And do you see this kind of also laying the groundwork for this kind of cooperation?
2: I think it's possible. I also think part of the reason that Moscow is hosting the summit is to try to also flex its own political muscles. Um, It also wants to be seen as a player in the global stage trying to bring the sides together to reconcile. Um, But again, they've tried to do this in the past. There's not a lot of uh, interest in the mid- when when there's a lot of questions about how the war will end and how what role Hamas will be or what um, status Hamas will have after the war. These conversations kind of seem a bit premature. Um, but in the meantime, I think Moscow, Russia, wants to see wants to be presenting itself as a player that's trying to also just like the U.S. is also has its own axis that it's trying to present an alternative.
0: We'll go to a short break. The surge in anti-Semitism since the October 7th attacks has changed the Jewish community's relationship with a slew of social and political issues. In the newest episode of The Glue, Jewish Federations of North America President and CEO Eric Fingerhut talks to Congressman Richie Torres, who has proved to be a pro-Israel bridge builder about everything from DEI to social media. Their conversation is fascinating. Listen to it and subscribe to The Glue with Eric Fingerhut And we're back. Finance Minister Bezalos Mocic announced on Thursday, following a deadly shooting attack near the West Bank city of Malay Adumim, that permits have been released for the building of some 3,000 homes. As a result, the United States on Friday restored its longstanding policy that settlements are inconsistent with international law, reversing a stance implemented by the former administration Is it all settlements that are incompatible with international law, or is it the building of new settlements that is incompatible, Jacob? I I think the the point was to say that all settlements
2: are incompatible with international law. This was an attempt to uh, revoke, basically, the quote-unquote doctrine that had been implemented in 2021 in the final days of the Trump administration by then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, um, that actually settlements were not per se inconsistent with international law. Um, this wasn't some sort of formal document that Pompeo signed. It was just an announcement, and because Secretary of State does dictate policy, it was seen as a, a shift in U.S. policy after decades of both administra- Democrats and Republicans um, saying that they consider settlements to be illegal. Now we have um, a, a new U.S. policy saying that's not the case. Blinken um, came under the Biden administration in general came a, under a lot of pressure from progressives since day one to revoke this policy and return it to traditional framework that settlements are illegal. Um, And I think they really resisted doing this for three years, um, not wanting to make public fights with Israel, just ignore Trump administration policy, but also not actively um, negate it. Um, And I think while there was this hesitance to do so, it was interesting to see how it took only a matter of hours from Smutrich's announcement that we'll be convening this committee, the defense ministry body that advanced the settlement construction, that they'll be advancing plans for three thousand homes. Um, it's going to be in Malay Adumim, which is one of the places where, which was the near the, where the attack took place on on Thursday, as well as Kedar um, and uh, Efrat. So three settlements that are actually somewhat considered to be in the Israeli consensus. Um, they're in what's it's they west of the security West Bank security barrier. So most of them are the 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 the, so, the so-called blocks. So they're seen as somewhat easier for, theoretically, the U.S. to swallow. But I think, given the timing, the the pressure the U.S. is coming over for its support of Israel and Gaza, that they did not want to take any of this, what they feel, nonsense in the West Bank. And we're very quick to, after years, not taking this position, taking just hours to make this announcement. Um, And just like that, we've returned to old policy. It's kind of still symbolic at the end of the day. It's not like settlements are therefore going to stop, or anything of the sort. I guess, just uh, you see, basically, the international community now returning in whole to its position very much being against um, these kinds of moves. Um, And I think that's where the U.S. wants it to be.
0: The Biden administration is also readying to issue a second round of sanctions in the coming weeks against Israeli settlers who carried out acts of violence in the West Bank. And the first round was mostly financial in content, it seemed to me. What would these newer sanctions involved? Or is it just the same sanctions on new people? So it's going to be the same sanctions on new people um
2: we're talking about basically it's all within the the confines of this executive order that biden signed on february 1st that allowed for these financial sanctions before what we had were a round of travel restrictions visa restrictions that these people were not going to be allowed into the us but they were private um and it was it was a lower level sanction that was easier for them to do without any sort of executive order requiring um, required in order to implement the sanctions Once the executive order happened, it kind of opens the floodgates to these much more heavy financial sanctions that I think the government is getting increasingly concerned about. Um, And basically, these officials I spoke with in Washington say that they're in the process of, they've already made up like a whole pot of names that they're planning on just taking out of every few months. Um, In the coming weeks, we'll see another handful of individuals. Um, I was told that these will be higher profile individuals than what we've seen in the first round but um, not government officials. Um, not, nobody. There was um, some rumors that it could have been Smotrich or Bengvir. Um The officials I spoke with said, well, we did actually very seriously consider Itamar Bengvir in the first round, but we decided against it. There was never any consideration of Spicella Smotrich. That was just false um, reporting that was put out there. But Bengvir was considered and we're not there yet. Um, doesn't sound like they will be in the immediate future. But uh, it was just interesting how the the officials I spoke with on Tuesday about this were saying, and you know what? We might revoke the Pompeo Doctrine if there's some major decision on settlements taken. Um, and be it, below and behold, two days later, uh, with the announcement from Israel about these 3,000 Um, new settler homes that they're going to advance. They took just hours to revoke that doctrine that they held off on doing for three years.
0: Now, the U.S. isn't the only country that is uh, putting sanctions on these extremist settlers. And we've seen also Britain. And they're not necessarily the same settlers. So do you assume that some of the settlers that other countries have sanctioned will be on this new list?
2: Yeah, it's possible. I think France had a list of 28 that they didn't publicize because they're part of the EU. So the the sanctions that they can do on their own are kind of limited. And it's like this lower level sanction that the US did in the first round. But I'm sure there's a lot of cooperation between the countries. I know you know, Levy, one person that we wrote a little bit about for this other story um, regarding some contracts that he had signed with the settlement municipality that puts them at risk of sanctions as well. Um, He was on the UK list, I believe. And um, I'm sure there's overlap. And I'm sure there's cooperation between these, the different governments, because I think they're Definitely, I know the U.S. and the U.K. Are, are very much in lockstep in a lot of these policies, and I think the U.S. in some ways uses the U.K. as kind of like a um, a test case. For we saw David Cameron, the foreign minister there, talk about um, unilateral recognition of a Palestinian state. I think I know the U.S. is not really. Um, there were, I know the reports as saying as if that they were from my understanding with officials I speak with it's not really in the cards They was slowly considered, minorly considered initially but I think they've, it's just too complicated given US law and us just against what US policy is in general but I do think that there's coordination okay if we leak that or if the UK comes out and says it's considering it we'll see how Israel responds and that'll give us an understanding of how to move forward ourselves um, so I do think there's cooperation but um, I, I don't think I think also these countries are also have their own Interested play here, too.
0: Israel has agreed to a new arrangement in which the World Food Program, rather than UNRWA, will give a massive American shipment of flour to Gazan citizens. This is something that uh, Finance Minister Bezal Smotrich blocked for about a month. And obviously, there's no love lost between UNRWA and Israel. So I just wonder, why not switch to the providers a lot earlier?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think um there was a lot of pressure from the Biden administration and, and frustration given that they announced this. I think when the Biden administration makes an announcement that they've got this deliverable, they don't want to look stupid for a month of it not being implemented. And I think there was a lot of pressure um, to try to, I, even on the early days, I think I, I remember right when Batalis Muchrich uh, announced that he was blocking this, I think a few weeks ago. Um, there was an Israeli official who briefed reporters saying we're looking at trying to get the World Food Program to do this instead. But just the the, the slow nature of bureaucracy, for some reason, it took very long time to actually get this uh, this new alternative framework um, put in place. Um, and it, according to the, the U.S. official I spoke with um, a couple of days ago, they said that it should be any day moving into Gaza. It can leave the Ashdod port where it's been stranded. We're talking about... 150 trucks worth that's 5 months worth of flour for 1.5 million gazans so it's a it must be a massive amount of flour that they really would like to get into Gaza that but the issue still is going to be once it gets into Gaza even if it's the world food program that is able to get it in the issue is, the issue is distribution that we have um basically Palestinian police in Gaza who are funded by Hamas and and oftentimes according to the US some of their uh, police officers are Hamas uh, full full blown uh, fighters or activists, whereas other ones were Palestinian Authority officials that were um, installed by the PA and then kind of stayed with Ga- in, in Gaza in their positions, but are still being but led or funded by Hamas in some ways. Um, and Israel sees them as targets. So when they're, these uh, these police are securing the aid convoys that are going into going through Gaza with the aid, um, Israel has been, according to the U.S., has killed eleven officers over the past few weeks or a few months. And because of this, the Palestinian police or Hamas police, depending on how you want to call it, is now refusing to secure the the distribution of aid because they're scared of being killed. And there has been it's the broader humanitarian project has kind of gro- ground to a halt. And there's been very limited amounts of aid going in. And there's increasing concerns about just total chaos. I saw there was one official who spoke to Israeli media and talked about comparing it to Somalia, the situation that we're getting close to in terms of like the lawlessness in Gaza. Um, and there's there's I know the u s. officials are pressing Israel to not shoot at these convoys uh, or at the, at the Hamas official or the police officers that are con- uh, securing the convoys because we just don't have an alternative at the moment to try and get this aid distributed. Um But my understanding is that Israel's not interested. They see them as legitimate targets. Um, and they feel that maybe w- that with this pilot program in Zaytun and Gaza City that with the clan leaders that they think are going to be able to distribute instead of these, um, police officers, that that could be the answer and that we'll, we'll expand this at scale. Um, but I think it's going to be, there's no immediate solution to this. They're trying to get maybe, the U.S. would like to see Ares crossing in the northern, Israel's crossing in northern Gaza opened to try to get aid more directly into northern Gaza where people are really, I think, stranded. There's about several hundred thousand Palestinians who are even have much less access to aid than people in the south. Um, so that's also an idea that's being floated, but there doesn't seem to be an immediate solution. And it might end up being that we're just going to have to wait till the hostage deal, if one comes about, if, if possibly before Ramadan in a couple of weeks, and then you'll know you'll be able to get more aid in like they were able to before.
0: Jacob, thank you so much for all of these updates. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, please drop us an email to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom.